Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, today on The New Abnormal, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome Lev Parnas. Lev, as many of you know, was a central figure in the story of the president's impeachment over the Ukraine matter. Uh, He has been a character in the ongoing stories of the Trump administration's weirdness and corruption, and he has made a break from all that. He has made a decision to walk away from the Rudy axis and the Steve Bannon axis and the Donald Trump axis and come over to the side of light and tell the truthful part out loud, unlike many, many people who swallow their their moral compunctions, Lev has decided at great personal risk to come forward and tell his story, not only in court, but here today on The New Abnormal. So we are thrilled to welcome you, Lev Parnas. Hi, thank you for having me, Rick, Molly. Thank you. Lev, you know, you've, you've been a major public figure, but I don't think most people know your background. So can you walk us through your life story? I mean, not, not the long version, the medium, the medium version, and then tell us how you became entangled in the Trump and Rudy worlds. Sure. I mean, quickly, I immigrated here when I was three years old from, uh, it was the ex-Soviet Union from Ukraine, Odessa. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a Brooklyn and New Yorker in heart and been an American citizen for 44 years. I am American, love this country. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Uh, my father passed away when I was 11 years old. I started working uh, on different jobs and eventually ended up on Wall Street and uh, moving down to Florida. Having different companies and being a businessman my whole life, never was involved in politics. Uh, one day, my son gave me a call and the he called me up and said, hey, dad, I think Trump is about to announce he's running for president. And at first it was all, you know, a joke. And uh, I didn't think- did you know Trump at this point? I did know him very well, but I had interactions uh, with Ivanka at some events she held in, in Miami when she at Doral, when they held a couple of different events. I was a guest at those events with them and at the VAP section, that's where I would interact with them. Uh, so I wasn't like friends. The first time I actually had any type of conversation with him was actually after a dinner that we held for him. And uh, it was for different reasons. If you remember when he had that uh, falling out, when he was running for election and he had that audio of him saying grab you know the by the genital and it was really uh, a down point in his campaign and it was actually uh, <laughs> october the same uh, time october i was approached by a couple of gentlemen in florida to hold a, camp, a fundraiser for him so who were you approached by republican operatives or actually no he was a uh, he was a billionaire uh, republican donor robert Pereira. he has this hundred and something million dollar house he used to have in boca and he was building it and uh, he wanted to, he was in infrastructure and wanted to get in close with Trump. And uh, so I get, uh, he uh, committed to doing this event. And for me, it was great. I was working on some real estate projects for this company called Hudson Holdings at the time. So it was, I figured it was a great way to meet some uh, people like Robert, billionaires and influential people. It wasn't so much about politics. That was more of a picture on the door. And again, at that point, nobody ever imagined him becoming president. It was more of, uh, you know, <laughs> a joke still running around. But that dinner was like the first interaction where I really, you know, uh, got mesmerized by him at that time. He was, he came there. We, it was about 20 couples. It was a round table. And because I was one of the individuals that put the uh, event together with Robert, it was actually uh, right after Yom Kippur ended. And I remember that. And, uh, 
we he was supposed to stay trump was supposed to stay for like 30 minutes 40 minutes but he ended up staying for like an hour and a half and we just sat there and spoke about all different things and my personality being the way it was i was doing most of the talking at the table so that was our first interaction with them about different stuff just you know shooting the shit as you call it and that's when we like first click like where he could could already understand who that face was and at that dinner i also met rudy giuliani for the very first time it was never about politics it was always about business for me because I was actually trying to meet people like the Robert Pereira world. So, Lev, as you started to come into this circle around Trump, I take it it was a sort of a subtle process. You know, you, you're you a little bit starstruck by Trump and Rudy and all these people. And like a lot of things, it seems like you just sort of slip into that world as things start to go in weird directions, though. I mean, I guess I guess it's, it, was it hard to see some of that coming up, like as things were getting weird and they were, as it went from the campaign to, to Rudy and other things? I guess the question I'm asking you is, was it, did it feel like obvious or was it sort of a subtle process? Well, I mean, I basically started drinking the Kool-Aid. To me, it wasn't, I wasn't looking like, I wasn't looking at it in anything deep or any politics. What I was looking at, as like I said, I was looking to meet individuals that are wealthy that could, you know, I'm a businessman, I'm not a politician. So I had no idea of how it was, but I got sucked into it because obviously these are the most powerful people in the world, especially when he won. I mean, I was there when he won. I was in New York. I was in with, with the family and the team in the upper deck when he came at the Hilton. After that dinner, I was with him at every, mostly every uh, event that he was doing from the debating, sitting front row when he's debating with Hillary to going to uh, his uh, campaign rallies where Robert Pereira's daughter would sing the national anthem to eventually, you know, being there at the Hilton when he they announced when he won and coming home to the hotel at four in the morning celebrating. So, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it, but for a kid growing up in Brooklyn or anywhere in this country, I I mean, I think that's something amazing to to be a part of. Explain to me what happened with Rudy. Well, Rudy, uh, our relationship didn't start flourishing till about I think that in uh, 2018, about a year down the road, a little a little over a year down the road. I met him back then through the campaign at the inauguration. We were together, but then afterwards, I uh, had nothing to do with uh, any anybody in that world. I was going through some of my own financial uh, problems plus. Uh, lawsuits with some of the companies that were involved and defrauded me. <laughs> I think that was I was raising money for at the time. So it was a tough year for me and I basically was a uh, didn't have any connection with anybody. Then, end of 17, I was approached by Igor Fruman, who now became my partner, and started, you know, discussing with me, you know, uh, all kinds of different things and trying to open up some sort of business at the time. So, as you got into Rudy's circle, Rudy always played a strange role in Trump's world in some ways, like very intimate on one level, and yet sort of almost on the outside, almost clownish on others. Yeah. Did you sense that, that he was very close to the president when you started interacting with him? Well, yeah, that was the whole thing. Like, I knew before anybody else, and that's when everybody, nobody understood how close Rudy was with him. I understood because I was with Rudy for almost 24 hours a day at certain points from morning to night. And <laughs> Lev, as a guy who used to work for Rudy, I'm sure you learned that he can stay up all damn night. <laughs> it's incredible. I don't know the stamina <laughs> this man has. I agree with you, Rick. I mean, and the cigars. And I mean, I, but yeah, he's, I mean, when the Mueller thing happened, I mean, for a week straight, we would be up at like 4.35 in the morning. We would start doing the shows and be done with the shows by like 
uh, Laura would be the last one, probably 11 o'clock would be done by 11, 12. I mean, so, and then come back to the hotel and drink, have drinks. And Well, I don't drink, but they would have drinks and smoke cigars till probably another hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then it would be, I, I don't know how he did, but incredible, yeah. In the operation against Mueller, how central was Rudy to that in, by your observation? Uh, he was very key. Rudy's very key. He has the president's ear. Uh, that's the most important part. And that's what I think now the country's starting to realize, even though after the whole Ukraine thing, he got on the back burner, but now he's starting to come out again. Uh, he's very, you, you could have seen, he gave his RNC speech, Trump. He's very close. They uh, they have a lot of uh, things and going back in a lot of years. And you know, Rick, you've been with Rudy. You know you know how Rudy operates. You know how Rudy talks, Rudy does things. And he has, uh, they have that type of a relationship relationship where uh, I think um, you can't break it. And a lot of people, look, Rudy always used to tell me, and it was funny, he would, at first I didn't realize it, but down the road I understood it. He goes, I'm the only person that could sit down with the president one-on-one because of our attorney-client privilege. Even the chief of staffs have to leave. That's why they hate me at the White House. That's why whenever he would want to walk in there, nobody would want him to be there because uh, he would make everybody leave and they would have those conversations one-on-one. But the interesting part is what nobody knew was a lot of those conversations came after came after our meetings <laughs> with the team <laughs> with the team as I called at the upstairs at the, the Trump Hotel you know so you'd have these meetings and then Rudy would go right afterward to the White House to speak to him and it would be hilarious. Do you think Rudy has an October surprise? Rudy? No, I don't think. The only surprises I'm worried about is from the DOJ and that. But I don't think Rudy has no surprises. There's, that's why I understood it was all a fake. It was all a sham sitting in the jail cell on the stage. This was a time where they supposedly, if they were trying so hard to get all this propaganda out, it was supposed to be all this information, breaking news. Well, here it is. You know, how come they didn't try to go in front of the Senate, the Congress? How come nobody tried to, how come they tried to keep me quiet and shut me up? So that's when I understood it was all propaganda. It was all basically, it was never about getting the truth out. It was all about 2020 and basically trying to influence the way people thought. Because Rudy is a shrewd, a shrewd uh, he's been around many years in politics and Trump hasn't and that's why Trump trusts him a lot. So when it comes to that's why you see Rudy around the campaigns and they have a motto in Trump world that you win at all costs. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what who has to go down, who has to take a fall. You just take the hit and you move because it's about him. He needs to survive and move on. And Rudy has, uh, I didn't know at that point, but I guess, you know, after reading about or hearing about this Roy Cohen business, I think Rudy is at Roy Cohen now. Let me ask you this. The last day before everything fell apart, you were having lunch at the Trump Hotel with Rudy Igor, and I don't know who else, but tell me about that day and tell me about the arrest and the indictments and how you felt was when that was happening. Were you surprised? Did you feel like this was something that Rudy set you up with or on? If you could tell us that part of the story, and, and, and obviously with respecting the any legal boundaries we have to observe. Well, it was actually the same day that I got arrested, the same day that we, we were eating, uh, that I had that lunch. It was in the morning. It was uh, 
day like a good day we were supposed to be flying that day we were all set up uh been very up and because we've been flying we just got back from vienna three days ago and we weren't expecting to go and the only reason that i even decided with yom kippur and everything going on is because uh it was such an important interview for uh rudy and sean hannity and the team that uh we kind of you know said god will forgive us and decide you know we're gonna even fly on yom kippur so we i was working for the, like a couple of days prior Prior to that, with Sean Hannity and his team to set up a meeting for uh, Rudy and them uh, with uh, Victor Shokin, who is the, was the general prosecutor of Ukraine that supposedly they're trying to say fired Biden to, I mean, Biden fired him to, you know, but which is a... Did you see a lot of coordination between Rudy and Sean Hannity? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, there the was, sunrise in the east. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not only not only Sean Hannity, but it's like you have to. It's a team. You got Sean Hannity. These are the main players. You have John Solomon. You have Sean Hannity. You have Rudy. You have Victoria and Joe. That duo, and that's like the key information source. And Trump speaks to all of them. I mean, a direct like they they have direct phone to all of them, so they all communicate. That's his like inner circle, and then you got the Lauras, the Talkers, and everybody on the outside. But his inner inner circle is Sean Hannity, John Solomon, Victoria Tunzing, Dojo De Genova, and Rudy Giuliani being the the head. You know, he manages the team. So, of course, I mean, everything was coordinated. So a lot of the material they were getting from the from Shokin and other folks in Ukraine, can you explain to us how that was working, how they were getting, what that process was like, how they how those contacts were made? Did you facilitate some of those? Uh, how did they learn how to find the right people in Ukraine to give them the pushback they wanted? Well, uh, what happened? Well, uh, the way it transpired, it was kind of something that got we kind of got cycled into because of uh, Igor had a lot of business in Ukraine and had a lot of relationships in Ukraine. We were also trying to uh, do a business which was called Global Energy, which was to do uh, to try to import LNG gas, which was an American game plan, and cut off the Russians and try send it to uh, Ukraine. So, because of all of that going on, I think it was in December of eighteen, one day. Rudy approached us and basically started asking us some questions about Ukraine. And Igor, he knew some of the players Rudy was talking about, and I did the translation. And what actually Rudy told us happened was he was approached by uh, Bart Schwartz, I think was uh, one of his, his guys, and had some uh, uh, information from some of his informants uh, that he was, that he took or taking to Lindsey Graham and somebody else, I don't have the gentleman's name, somebody up in uh, in that also, I think either a senator or in the State Department, I'm not sure, talking about some corruption that was going on between the Poroshenko and Ukraine and stuff like that. And Rudy started asking us questions, and but Rudy's concern mainly was at that time was about the Black Ledger, uh, about this Black Ledger. He was like, and, so, and about some voting device, um, I forgot what it's called, something to do with some voting devices. So explain to our audience what the Black Black Ledger was and why it was important for Trump and for Rudy. The Black Ledger was the book that came out that had was supposed to say had Manafort supposedly taking bribes or taking bribes, and because of the Black Ledger, it became a big uh, issue here, and Manafort ended up resigning, and so. While Manafort was convicted sitting in prison, Rudy was working closely with Manafort and John Downing to Kevin Downing to work on the theory uh, that uh, this ledger was fake. And he wanted uh, 
kept asking Igor and myself, like, do we know anything about it? Do we hear anything about that? Stuff like that. So that's when all Ukraine started coming about. And basically, you know, we were together every day working on our fraud guarantee project with Rudy. That's what Rudy was supposed to, you know, help come promote uh, and uh, come about and help us get to the next level. So while we're working on the two things side by side, while, I mean, everything's happening side by side, like here, the relationship is growing here. The, uh, you know, we're working a company together and simultaneously he's asking all these questions of Ukraine and Igor happens to have all these connections in Ukraine. So it was like a perfect storm. Then all of a sudden, one day Igor came to me and basically asked me if, uh, uh Rudy, if Rudy was, uh, wanted to speak, uh, with, uh, this guy Shokin, who I had no idea at the time, really, I was just getting into this Ukrainian politics. So starting to understand who was who. What is the truth you want out? The real cabal and the real relationship, what's going on between Rudy, Trump, Victoria, the president's attorneys, uh, David, I mean, uh, Nunez, Lindsey Graham. I mean, there's there's a lot to the backstory, how everything, how they covered up this Ukraine thing. They were all in the loop. Pompeo. I mean, it's unfortunate because Trump moves the news cycle so quickly and because of... Uh, well, I mean, they, they, they bet their presidency on this operation that you were involved in, Lev. They bet the presidency. And so when you were over in Ukraine and Rudy is there and you're doing all these things to try to facilitate all this, he's talking to the president about these things. Am I right on that? Oh, everything that we he would tell the president, everything that was going on. So that's something that the White House has denied, of course, because they're lying liars who lie. But that's interesting. And I think that's that's pretty newsworthy. Tell me how, I mean, one thing I can't, sitting there watching the proceedings, the one thing I couldn't understand is what would happen if I sat there? First of all, I want to make it very clear that I never asked for any, I wasn't planning on taking the fifth. I didn't ask for any immunity. All I wanted to was try to get the truth out and be, you know, deposed under oath and given the chance of read the, uh, read cross examined just like they want to. But at the end of the day, tell me what kind of scene would play out if, how, how would Devin Nuno's question question me or what would he say would he deny knowing me when i sat in front of him would he play like and Derek Harvey sitting right in back of him like did you see any evidence of any of joe biden involved in any corruption in ukraine no i mean between me and you i mean at the end of the day uh, all i saw is a lot of propaganda that's the same stuff that keeps getting recycled by different sources and different people if there was at the end if there was anything any truth to the story you, we would have already seen rudy's bomb they would have been bringing all this evidence into Congress. But instead, what they try to do is take all the evidence or supposed evidence, which was propaganda material that they had me collect. And then they tried to get rid of it and silence me. So this was what, because at the end of the day, all they cared about was getting an announcement, getting the media to look at and changing the cycle. It was never about getting the truth. It was never about any corruption. It was never about any of that. So it was all propaganda. So you you didn't see evidence in the stuff you were collecting of any real corruption by Biden. You were getting this stuff. They were getting this stuff from Victor Shokin, who is of the former administration. Am I correct in that, in Ukraine? Correct. It was the former administration. He's from the Paul Manafort-installed former pro-Russian government. I don't know if that was, I think that was after Poroshenko, I think was after Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort was the before the president, before Poroshenko. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or I prefer Don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear on my question. That is what I was actually... But in all that information you were being given, and the idea that it wasn't me there, there... So when Rudy is being briefed on this, and he's talking to the president about this, was it as cynical as that? It was like, screw it, we'll just dump this out and get the news cycle. We'll just make the lie, we'll just do the, the big lie and then hope it works? Or was there disappointment? Were they like, why isn't there more? Why aren't we getting something real? Again, uh, <laughs> because of the way things were playing out, uh, uh, they were always blaming somebody to do something. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's how Maria Ivanovich became a scapegoat because all of a sudden she didn't she denied visa for Shokin to come in to give to meet up with Lindsey Graham to give testimony. But because she now she so then they start concentrating on her and that became a whole a folly of its own and you know I'm sorry to it's not to make fun of it but it's a very serious situation but I mean if you were just a part of seeing if the country only knew how she was being dealt with and how the state department I mean how Pompeo I mean Bolton all of these people were 
in the mix and how Trump would, I mean, it was just incredible. Was Bolton involved in this? On the contrary, actually. That's why, uh, like I said, when Bolton's book comes out, they'll probably, I I don't know Bolton. We never had any interaction, but obviously if you read his book, it validates almost everything that I said, Rachel Maddow, before his book even came out. Bolton was against all of this. Bolton had his own agenda. Bolton didn't like Rudy, but Rudy felt that he was the homestead because he helped get him that position. He, He kind of told Trump to get him that job so uh but at the end of the day bolton bolton still had a an issue with him going back before ukraine with venezuela because one rudy was dealing with venezuela bolton had an issue with him he felt that he was getting trump off uh, off track and then when ukraine came about he thought rudy was a total like uh you know firecracker firecracker i'm saying in a nice way so let me ask you a little bit about john solomon did you interact with john very much or did you have much to do with him almost a daily basis so is he just breathtaking like conspiratorial or is he really or is he in on the con that's yeah again he's part of the team he's part of trump team i don't know what con whether you know i'll let that that's your you know how you describe it but he's definitely like i said to you there's the group that has direct phone lines i mean there's lots of people that call him but direct that they have like when it's time to pardon somebody when it's time to put an ambassador in somewhere when it's time to make some sort of a decision that's the group that uh, he's uh, when you see trump up there and saying i heard from people or people have been telling me then, <laughs> that's, that's the sign that who's been telling him <laughs> that's the group that, Got it. Oh, that, that, that's the so when trump talks about antifa air that's coming from absolutely because they're the number one soros anti-soros uh when you're part of that cult it's your anti-soros your antifa your it's just your it's the end of the world it's trump world or any other way and we you talk about Mike Pompeo? Sure. Uh, Mike Pompeo. He's an interesting individual. Rudy and him obviously are not buddy buddies and don't get along. Uh, Rudy uh, had his view of foreign policy because he wanted to be Secretary of State. Pompeo obviously has his own ambitions. And back in the days when it was Venezuela stuff that Rudy was dealing with, the notion in the group that uh, Pompeo was a plant by the Koch brothers, that he was, him and Trump didn't get along. But uh, eventually he started showing his uh, loyalty to Trump and Trump started really liking him, even though Pompeo played his own games on the side like what like the conversations talking behind trump's back i mean they all did they all make fun of them and stuff like that and you would hear it in our in the groups because it would be to different people in the rnc and stuff like really that. what would they make fun of him for uh, depending on what was the news cycle of the day it's, it's every day was something different the way he responded something the way he would do something would, but in general they really butted heads when they came down to ukraine because at some point rudy victoria and the team felt that Pompeo was blocking the firing of Maria Ivanovich and that he was holding back and nobody could understand why and that was became they became like very very against each other everybody on that team and Pompeo at first was against it then when the firing happened he jumped in line very quickly I want to go back to that for one second so the internal tensions even in this group of Rudy supporters was one of the only reasons we actually ended up hearing about Marie Ivanovich. If he had just fired her quietly, it might have it might have gone differently. Correct. But let me go back to this other other part you just mentioned, and then I want to loop back to another question. I want to get back to on another track. They you said they made fun of him. These guys get the joke, right? They understand how strange and how off Trump is. Is, is that what you're telling me? 
Oh, everybody. I mean, except for maybe Don Jr. <laughs> I mean, everybody, it would be, you know, even Rudy. I mean, it's not, he was not off limits to anybody. And as long as he wasn't around or Junior wasn't around, I mean, it was freely, uh, he was laughed at and, you know, depending on what happened and disagreed a lot. Most of the time they all disagreed with him, but nobody had, it was funny to watch how nobody had like um, the strength to go up against him. Nobody had the balls to stand up to him. We, they made fun of him for what exactly? I mean, there was a lot of choices, but just curious. If you give me a time period, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know, I mean, was I, it for like his bad decision making or his? Yeah, it was, it was as bad the way he would talk, the way he, his bad decision making, the stubbornness uh, that he would go into. Like I remember with Charlottesville, for instance, they couldn't, when he came out and said there were people good on both sides, I thought half the RNC was going to fall off their head. The Trump, like stuff like that. It would, you know, he'd make a statement and then it wouldn't be just them. It was, like I said, it was just also donors. Was, you'd go to a, Trump event and at the event like we're standing laughing at how he what he did at his last and it, w- it wasn't going to listen to a presence like going to listen to an act like it was like what's going to be new on the agenda what, what the, what, like a bad comic right like it, it, not to make fun of it but it was like what's he going to come out with, with, and that's why the rallies were so big because he would make it like oh I'm going to come out and nail this one today oh we're going to come out and nail this one today and everybody was like kind of it's hard to explain I mean it's I've never been in a cult before so so I think Trump is actually tries to be a stand-up comedian, but he doesn't realize that, you know, it's like it's one of those things in the in his world. But do you think who's crazier, Giuliani or Trump? Because I always thought Giuliani was crazier. I mean, they're very equal to each other. I would say it that way. That's why they get along so much. I mean, they it takes a certain person to go along and sell your soul like that to uh, because you i mean this is mayor Ju- he was the american mayor i mean this is a person that could have retired and there could have been a statue of him in, in new york city and instead like he can't walk down the street i would walk sometimes and people would hackle him and say all oh, dirty stuff and i couldn't imagine that so i don't know you know before just think about the way they're acting the two of them besides rudy and and trump who else would even dare to deal with oan then do you think anybody in trump world they're having heart attacks i could just ima- i could just imagine everybody around there i mean it's it's uh, the things that i've seen in the past uh, 10 months after uh, this whole thing blew up has been it's like been a cleansing i've been watching this and saying you know trying to make peace with my family my kids and thinking about even just a crazy story uh, a 7 year old that when he was four years old and he Trump was running for uh, election, he I have a picture of him. He was in school. They had an uh, election, like, and he was the only one that voted for Trump. All the other kids voted uh, for Hillary Clinton, and he was the only one voted for Trump. And living in the community, it's been like different. He, and he's like been like daddy tried to be like outspoken. And is okay, so a couple of days ago, my wife goes to me. She goes, "Hey, babe, we really need to talk to him because he now understands. Uh, he sees that because he watches TV. Like we talk differently. We feel differently before." was Fox 24-7. Now we have all different opinions, views. It's kind of a different environment and I think we need to talk to them. So, Do you feel like you've been deprogrammed from a cult? Oh, big time. Big time. That's what I look at. And I think there's a lot of people that are dying to get out of that cult and they just don't know how. Because I tell you things, I had to hit a brick wall and this thing had to happen the way it happened uh, to me to be able to, because if I would have kept going, I, whatever happened, I would have lost my family. I was on the verge of losing my kids because it, it was it's it's a terrible world. There's uh, And thank God I'm out of it. I could 
to tell you that much. So at this moment that when your arrest came, there were a lot of other things going on at that moment in terms of, of the impeachment, the hipsy, all these other things that were happening. Can you walk us through some of that? Absolutely. About probably, like I said, the reason I was so tired is because I just came back from Vienna like three, four days prior to that. Because uh, we were, I was there with uh, Victoria and Joe working on uh, Dimitri Firtish's case that they were, you know, putting together their information that they were going to go in front of Bill Barr. And all of a sudden, the Hipsy uh, letter came. It wasn't a subpoena; it was just a regular demand letter that was published. And and to I was in Vienna at the time, and I called Rudy right away to say what do we need to do to respond to make sure that we're all in compliance. And Rudy said that uh, give him a second, let me think of, you know, which lawyers to get, we need to hire, get a lawyer to represent us. Going back and forth, finally, he came up, called me up and said, John Dowd, he said would be good. He's, uh, I know him for a long time. And plus he loves the president. He was the president's attorney. So he's a good man. And I got excited because, you know, at that point I'm still, I was, you know, looking at Trump as the man and so I was excited to have his lawyer obviously represent me uh, he called me up John Dowd about 20 minutes later and and said to me that he thinks we probably have a problem and he's not going to be able to represent me because of his some work he's still doing for the president. There might be conflict, and he doubts, knowing Trump, that he would uh, waive uh, his conflict of interest. I was a little cocky to him, not knowing John Dowd, and I said to him, listen, I think you need to speak to him. I think they'll work it out. About a half hour later or an hour later, I don't remember exactly, he calls me back and started the conversation with, with oh, you're one lucky man. I just got a call from Jay Sack. He just spoke to the boss. Trump uh, approved for me to represent you. He's getting it all documented, sending it to me, and then all I'll need is a check from you, and I'll could officially represent you. So that when I said, "What do we do next?" Uh, he told me I need to fly in to immediately to his house in uh, not sure where where it was somewhere outskirts of Massachusetts, and I flew in from Vienna. There, he asked me to stay with him because he wanted uh, for us to spend. I was only going to be there for a day, so he could get timelines and stuff and. I thought it was kind of weird because I like my privacy, but I figured, what the heck? I stayed with him, slept at his house. The next morning we woke up, ate breakfast, then sat down. Uh, and first thing he told me, he was already in touch with Rudy and Victoria and Jay, and that we're going to have a call set up to go over stuff. Uh, we sat there, discussed our timeline. His wife, Carol, was taking notes. And then he got on a call with Jay Succolo, Rudy, and Victoria, and Joe, and started talking about, uh, first Jay explained what Cipollone said and what their position was and what letter they were drafting. And what's his name? Dowd told him that... Uh, the, what position that we were going to be taking that, and that me and Igor would have all kinds of protection because we were not only was Giuliani and Tunzing our lawyers, but we also were working for the president through Giuliani and his legal team and that they were putting all together so we wouldn't have to then testify uh, in front of Congress. But in the meantime, he said that you need to bring all the stuff. Let's plan on meeting in a couple of days and get, getting all our stuff to get uh, all your info together so I could start collecting all the, the things that the house was asking for. About a day later, he called me up. He said he, that he spoke with the team and that Kevin Downing should be joining our team, that we should agree to that. I had no issue with that. So we agreed to then Kevin Downing joining our team. We met up again in Washington, at which point we were 
were to at, when Kevin joined our team, uh, the census was that we probably are still going to have to testify if we get subpoenaed. So I was always under the impression that, is, that I'm going to testify and that's why we're collecting the information. So I brought them all the information I had that I had uh, thought I had. That I, that I could have collected in a couple of days and brought over to them. And then I, my secretary, Deanna, was with them at the time, downloading my text messages and all the stuff that they were trying to collect that was part of the subpoena. So I want to go back to that one, that moment where you're in the restaurant and you, you're about to go to the airport and it's all normal, right? At the last day here, it's all normal. Everything seems like you're, you're continuing this mission you've been on to help Rudy and to help Trump. You get to Dulles Airport, and you're arrested. What went through your mind? It was extremely strange, and it was like surreal, because you have to understand, I was supposed to be on that trip with me. It was supposed to be Rudy, Victoria, Joe. We were all supposed to be together on that trip, so it kind of felt, and I just left Rudy, and the funny part is Rudy had called the D.C. police or whatever at the at the airport to walk us through, like give a special, like to hook us up. So I, I thought it was, at first I didn't believe it was real. I couldn't believe it was real it was happening. I didn't understand what was happening. I was planning on going to sleep because I was so tired from all these flying and I knew I had to wake up and set up this interview for uh, Sean Hannity and then fly back two days later. So it was like, it was surreal. I can't, uh, it was really crazy. I've never been arrested in my life. I've never had handcuffs put on me. I've never, I've, except for watching it on TV, that's the closest I've ever been to something like that. And it was, it was a really... Was Rudy supposed to be on that flight with you? Oh, Absolutely. At the last minute, they canceled. So let me ask you this. When you were getting the cuffs put on, were you thinking, Rudy fucked me? Did, did that cross your mind? I mean... Did Rudy know you were getting arrested? Well, this is I, this is what I'm saying to you. At that moment, it was surreal. My first thoughts were literally all of these, like, you got to understand, until I saw the judge, until the judge said a million dollars, they wanted five million in the beginning and then a million. Then until Kevin Downing turned around to me and, and said to me, okay, just be quiet and don't say a word. We're going to, I didn't even understand what was going on. I couldn't understand. I felt like, you know, I was like El Chapo or somebody that I couldn't understand <laughs> what was happening. You know, I'm asking like, what did we do? What are we being charged with? Like, are they, and they're telling me federal election that I'm like but we have a lawyer he's dealing with a respond like that they told me that's like nothing like you're t I mean not to make light of it but it's like we're dealing with it like what is going on and that was really shocking so for the first couple of days I couldn't understand and I was you know waiting for the cavalry to come in you know <laughs> I was waiting for Rudy Victoria I mean I understand these are also lawyers these are also my lawyers I mean they all are claiming these are not just uh, these are all supposed to be my lawyers Rudy's my lawyer Victoria and Joe's my lawyer uh, Kevin Downing's my lawyer, and here here I am sitting in a jail, and uh, nobody's coming around. Not only is nobody coming around, but there's it's like everybody's distancing themselves from me, my family. Like I speak to my wife, my wife telling me nobody's picking up the phone on her. All of a sudden, uh, I'm not allowed to even see newspaper articles or nothing. They holding me like some kind of I, again, like the, it's so strange because I've never been arrested. So I don't know what properly is, or, but just being from people on the inside that were telling me. While I was there for two weeks, they told me the only other person they saw dealt with like that was El Chapo's henchman that was there prior to me. What's it called that they saw? So I could I could imagine that it wasn't pleasant sleeping 24 hours with lights on and all of that stuff. So it was kind of weird the way I was being treated for supposed uh, an election fraud campaign violation. But it really hit me. It was a combination of things where I understood that something really sinister is happening is when, first of all, all of a sudden my meeting with 
with uh, Kevin Downing and John Dowd inside uh, the jail where they were basically telling me that I need to just uh, man up and shut up and just uh, they'll figure it out. In the meantime, they were going to get Igor out and they signed some kind of paperwork that I would have to wait there until I got bailed out. I mean, something I couldn't even understand and they wouldn't even explain to me. It got very heated where at the point I told them, if you don't get out of here right now, it's going to get really bad and Downing pressed the button and uh, police, uh, I mean, they came in, the sheriffs and got them out of the government. That was the last I've seen of them. So at some point I had no attorneys, no nothing. <laughs> All of a sudden that evening uh, or the following evening, I don't remember exactly which day it was, I, I'm laying in my cell and all of a sudden there's this postcard that slipped underneath my door and I thought I was like a mirage because <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in jail. I'm in, uh, there's, I, I don't have nothing like except for a little uh, two inch toothbrush and a little piece of soap. <laughs> and, and I don't, and here it is this like this, under, um, I look out the window, I don't see anybody there. So I pick it up and it's a postcard from the White House and Rudy Giuliani telling me how sorry he was for missing his trip to Vienna with me and, and not to worry that I have a good lawyer that Downing only got Paul like seven and a half years. Well, that must have come as a relief. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, I didn't understand. What, I thought I was in a Looney Tunes. I thought I'm in crazy. I, I, could, I couldn't believe this is happening. You know, it's it's like watching a movie. If this was a movie, you wouldn't believe that this could be really true. You'd think it was made up and you couldn't. So how did Rudy sustain himself financially? Did you ever have any clue on that? Because I kept hearing rumors during that time that because of the divorce and everything else, he was short on cash. And was he paid by the White House at all? Or was he paid by the R? See, did you ever hear how he was keeping his body and soul together? Oh, I know how he was. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't. I don't know. But I just, from what I know, is different countries, different lobbyists, different organizations that he would go work his side deals with. I mean, take a look at all the things he was involved with, and you could see what it got. So, would you say that the people who were involved with Trump the most were Lindsey Graham? And Devin Nunes, the electeds? From my standpoint, that I saw that were directly involved were Lindsey Graham, Devin Nunes, and Mark Meadow. But also, just for a funny note, I was supposed to meet Rudy and Lindsey Graham were supposed to meet the day or two prior to my arrest. And John Dowd and Jay Succolo stopped the meeting because they were scared the press was going to see me, Rudy, and Lindsey together. That was like Two days before, Succolo called Dowd and they a whole they started calling me, my secretary, like, you, you guys can't meet, tell Rudy not to meet. And Rudy was making fun saying, we're going to meet wherever we need to meet. They'll tell the lawyers to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so you offered yourself up to Congress. You said, I'll tell you everything. No reservations, no conditions, right? You told Congress you'd come out and you'd give them the full story. Rick, Molly, till this day, I tell Congress and the Senate, and I hope that one day they take me up on it. They need to hear the whole story. Absolutely. Well, I think you might get a chance to tell the whole story to the Senate in January. I <laughs> If things go as planned. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast and he's the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hold up. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.